Welcome to the Crackpots podcast. This is Pastor Rebecca. And I'm Pastor Chad. And... Paul's in prison. Paul's in prison. That was the text. Writing letters and stuff. Yeah. So I think there's, there's like two things to do in prison. Write letters and work out. Write letters and work out? Is that what you said? Yeah. <laughs> well, okay then. I mean, what else are you going to do in there? Yeah, I guess. Or, or break out. Because he did that upon occasion too. He, he, he did break out. Yeah, he had a couple prison breaks, um, which when you think about it, it's kind of funny. <laughs> it's like, so those prison break stories in the Bible. <laughs> so last, last week, leading into Sunday, was a rough week. Um, it, it, yeah, and, and this week's a rough week. We had the incident... Um, at our local middle school. So, so th- I guess yeah, before that, we had the, the shooting at a church in California. We had a shooting at a grocery store in, in Buffalo, Buffalo, which was like distinctly racially motivated. Very. Um, and then we had the raci- racist incident at our local middle school. And, you know, so one of, one of the messages from the text from Paul's text, the takeaways is that Paul didn't care how the gospel got out. You know, he kind of celebrated that you know, some of the guards were proclaiming the gospel, even if it was mocking, in a mocking fashion. You know, he was still kind of heartened by the fact that the gospel's getting out. Yeah, even if they're not mm-hmm. serious, God will work through it. And I didn't make this connection this weekend, at least I don't think, or at least not intentionally. Um, God works in the midst of messes. And you know, my hope is that, you know, in our community, you know, here in beautiful Palm City, Florida. My hope and prayer is that the ugly incident that happened in the middle school serves to actually make this community beautiful um, and inclusive and more emblematic of, you know, the kingdom. Um, If you've listened to this podcast for more than like half an episode, you know, one of, my, one of my big mantras and one of my big passions is like the kingdom of God here. Don't wait till you die. Don't wait for the kingdom of God, you know, to come to you. Take the kingdom of God to the people and to the world. Um, and I think God, in the, midst of, in the midst of messes and chaoses and tragedies, you know, I saw you post on social media something to the effect of stop asking where God is or something like that. Stop asking why God allows this to happen yeah, because yeah. it isn't God allowing it, it's us allowing it. Right, and that, was, and that was in relation to the most recent shooting at the elementary school in Texas. And I think, right. that's, I think that's a really great point. You know, God doesn't allow those things to happen. We cause them to happen, and God still works in the midst of those Correct. tragedies and our failures and flaws and, and everything else. It's my hope that you know, locally... Um, you know, with the, with the racist incident here, that that can facilitate some conversations and some it, really hard conversations. If it doesn't move us to action, that becomes a problem. Right. That's, However, you know, we had, how long ago, I don't remember how long ago the Columbine shooting was. Oh, that was, when, that was in the 90s. Right. So that was in the 90s. That was 20 years ago. Yeah. And we still have school shootings. Um, 
you know, Sandy Hook elementary school shooting when I was in internship. So that would have been... And, and I'm going to say it was longer ago than 20 years ago. Maybe 10 years ago. So I, I mean... Not Sandy Hook. I mean the um, Columbine, Columbine. Was, was well over 20 years ago. Yeah. So, you know, maybe, you know, when is enough enough? I, I don't know. And I know it's, we're, again, dipping our toes in or plunging into into dangerous waters, you know, politics and religion and First Amendment or Second Amendment rights. And well, but this is also a scriptural issue. God tells us, um, you know, if you go back, you know, there's, there's, we, we have two ways of life we can choose as a society. We can choose life and, you know, follow the ways in which God says we should live. Um, you know, a, a society of equity, a society of justice, a society that um, uh, deals with the problems in our society. Or we can choose idolatry and death. Yep. And I, I get we want to be like, oh, I don't want to get political or whatever, but there's kind of no way if you want to be true to Scripture to to not say we have, we, at least we are on the path. We, we have chosen the way of death um, at this juncture of we'll, we'll offer up our thoughts and prayers, but we don't do anything about it. I'm not saying I have all the answers or all the solutions, but we nope. don't seem to even really be trying. Um, nope. And it's been, a, it's been a rough two weeks in a lot of ways. Um, in addition to all the violence, that violence, what people are probably a little less aware of if they're not in um, kind of Christian clergy circles, that kind of thing, is there was a report that dropped on Sunday about the Southern Baptist Convention and their abuse of over, their covering up of over 700 abuse victims. Yeah. Um, whether it was rape, incest, et cetera, um, of allegations that were made and ignored and, and victims who were re-victimized by uh, the cover-ups. Um, there was a video of a guy who finally got up and said, hey, 20 years ago, I had an affair. And the woman he had an affair with stood up and said, um, I was 16 at the time. <laughs> and you know what that community of faith did? I don't think I want to know. Which person do you think they went to comfort? The dude. They went and surrounded him with prayer and whatever, and that poor woman stood there with her husband by herself. I mean, we... And I, I just, I, I, I'm going to be honest, I wanted to throw up. Yeah. Um, and, and, that's, and that's not... And, and I, I want to clarify, because I'm pretty sure we're on the same page. That doesn't mean that he shouldn't have been prayed for. Correct. And, and, and in some ways, hey, you know what? I'm glad that you finally confessed. However, again, we've talked consequences, all, all those things. Right. We've but talked about the other how, piece uh, of it is, you know, hey. <laughs> care for the victim. Yeah. Care for the victim. 
I mean, which should be kind of like one of the most most uh, common sense practices, yeah. Especially in when it comes to faith communities. But I, I mean, I'm I'm not going to lie. This, the, I mean, the the confluence of all these things over the past like two weeks has been a lot. Yeah. And I would be lying if I said I'm doing okay um, with all of it. I'm not. Um, it, it, it is not, it is not sitting well with me. It is not, um, it is not okay. Well, I mean, we, and to tie it back to your text when we say with God, all things are possible. I absolutely agree all things are possible, but at some point we have to start moving towards the impossible in terms of making a way for change. Yeah. I mean, maybe we don't need to try and make it impossible for God to make things possible. Because, (laughs) you know, in some ways it feels like like humanity. We're We're just sitting there waiting for God to do the impossible. We're not taking any action on our own um, to say, hey, we know this is going to be really, really hard work. Um, But maybe if we actually start doing the hard work, God will be in the midst of that, making what seems impossible actually possible. Right. Because, I mean, that's... Because I think our attitude right now is we just throw up right now. Think of, if, think of had Paul, when he wound up in prison, just kind of gone, well, okay, this is what it is. Um, no, he continued to, <laughs> for lack of a better term, fight the good fight. Um, you know, it was it, it was a constant. He's out there encouraging. He was out there um, writing this letter to the people in in Philippi, uh, giving them edification. For you know, despite his current circumstances. <laughs> well, I think I think one of one of our challenges in the Lutheran faith, the Lutheran tradition, because we're very big, you know, faith not works. And we get all twisted up in the works righteousness thing and we don't quite know how to handle it. Um, and I think that tends to make us more passive. And, you know, again, I think that leads, kind of lends itself a little bit to the God will take care of it. God's got this. But yeah, I, I, I believe God's got this and I also believe we have a role in helping God get this. Um, we want... We want that 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 Red Sea moment. You know, we want we want God to part the waters instead of us doing some work to part the waters. Right. Yeah, you know, we want to be completely relying on God. It seems God, too often. God still needed Moses or called Moses to go do something. And Moses didn't want to go do it, just to be clear. Yep. Um, took it. <laughs> I think we've talked about this before. I still don't know what God's anger burning against Moses looked like that made him go from, um, no, I don't want to, you send someone else to, 
suddenly he's he's on his way. <laughs> yeah. Um, and maybe we need that. I don't know what that. Maybe we need to rekindle that. I don't know what it looks like, but God's burning anger against us. Yeah, maybe we need to figure out what that looks like. Because, because I mean, frankly, you know, I'm not I'm not going to lie. If part of the the disheartening nature that's that we're both feeling right now, and part of that, you know, hopelessness, um, and that might be a strong sense. I don't know that I'm hopeless. I don't, I don't know that I'm completely hopeless. Um, I'm a little, it's hard not to feel a sense of despair, though. Yeah. Um, is in the fact that, you know, we're just really complacent. and. Well, I guess passive. what I look at is I look at how the prophets in the Old Testament, um, in particular, used to speak against what was going on in Israel, in Judah, um, even in other nations, and, and give warnings. It's like, if you continue down this path, you will destroy yourself. Yep. God's not going to stop that. Yep. It's, you're going to do this to yourself unless you make the change. Yep. And I, I don't see anything that really has changed in the past 2,000 years in terms of societies needing to actually make changes in order for change to happen. <laughs> um, that when we head down certain paths and left, unless we change direction, it, it, it won't be good. Now, God always, towards, towards Israel and Judah, always offered up that, that hope of, okay, so you're going to destroy yourselves, but I promise there's something beyond that. You know, that's not going to be the final word. Your, your destruction will not be the final word. But we're hell-bent on destruction. But we are very hell-bent on our destruction. I mean, and it's like, okay, so I love that God promised that. So, yeah, let's just destroy things, including ourselves. And yeah. God will take care of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm not sure, though, you really want to be the ones living through that. I'm, I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> there's a reason rapture theology is so popular. Because you know what rapture theology promises you? You skip the destruction. You escape it. God vacuums you up into heaven, and you get to sit there on a cloud somewhere watching it all go down. And as one who does not ascribe to that particular theology, um, that means... Well, we either make changes or we get to go through that. Yeah. And I hate to be so pessimistic and down, but it's just, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's been a hard two weeks. And... So Paul was sitting in prison, which I imagine was hard. Oh, Yeah. I'm sure he, he was feeling a certain amount of despair. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, and maybe that's one of the things that makes this, you know, this opening to the letter of Philippians so um, interesting in the midst of that really challenging, difficult time sitting in prison. Paul's letter to the Philippians was pretty upbeat. He was thankful. 
and, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge believer in gratitude. Um, I'm also a huge believer that, you know, those challenging moments in your life are, can be formative and, and, and shape you. Um, hopefully well, in a positive sense, but not, honestly, not always. There are times when, you know, there's formative events and they don't shape you for the positive. They're, they're harmful. Well, well Paul, is a, for, for himself, he was a living example of the impossible. The, the persecutor of Christians suddenly joining Christianity, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, suddenly joining those ranks and doing his 180. Um, and that's what the I hope guess, is. I guess the question is, where's our, where's our Damascus moment? Yeah. I, I think is one of those things where we need a Damascus moment um, that kind of grabs our attention and turns us around and sends us another direction. Which is actually the definition of repentance, by the way. Yeah. Which we've kind of lost the concept of. Yeah, is to stop and um, turn back specifically, not just in another direction, like you don't just go off willy-nilly. It's like, oh, well, I'm going this way, now I'm going to go this way. It's turning actually towards something. It's turning toward God. Yeah. And, and I don't... I, I, I get... <laughs> I get confused by, like, the bumper sticker that's, like, God gun the country or something along those lines. Um, and I'm like, how does that fit? Like, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not anti-gun. I grew up, I mean, my father was an avid hunter, um, and, and, has and gun all, collections, I mean, yeah. yeah. And I, to clarify, I, I'm, I, not, I'm not anti-gun. I know, I know how to shoot. Yeah. I, I, I actually, <laughs> believe it or not, a fairly good shot. <laughs> um, I'm not anti-country either. No, I'm... I'm anti both our country and guns being um, becoming what they're becoming. Does that make sense? It only makes sense if you define what they're becoming. Okay. So I love my country, but I am not loving a country that is embracing this culture of death. Correct. I want that to change for the sake of my neighbor, um, my fellow Americans, our and ultimately the world. And our children. And, 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 and ultimately the world. It goes beyond the borders of our country. I, I can love my country, but I also love the people of other nations. Yeah. And when we're a healthier society, I think that bleeds out into the world as a healthier society. But... I think Some, something something went wrong. <laughs> Something's gone very very wrong. I think I think Ronald Reagan said something in a speech about the United States being the beacon on the hill. Um, I don't, I don't agree with all of Reagan's stuff. Um, but. I, I like that notion of, of being the beacon on the hill. Mm -hmm. um, but if, we're gonna, if you're going to be that beacon on the hill, what light are you shining? Yeah. <laughs> you know, 
is it is it a is it a bright light of life or is it a dark light of death? And and again, it sounds all doomy and gloomy, and, and I get it. And this is this is not a oh my god, this is the worst place. It was the worst place to live. Uh, you know, or you don't like it, then get move. Out. That's yeah. one of my that's one of my personal favorites. If you don't like it, then move. Um, it's like well, no. If I don't like it, I want to change it. <laughs> it's like well. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, if I move into a house and there are things I don't like about it, I don't just get rid of the house. You remodel. I remodel. Yeah. I make changes. Yeah. Make it the way it needs to be. Um, now, I think part of our problem is that we have a lot of people who have very differing views of what this country should be and what it should look like. Correct. And I think that's where we're we're at at the moment. Well, is, it, not just it the isn't, country. It isn't that one side loves the country and the other side doesn't love the country. It's that they Cor have very differing views of what this country should be and how it should operate. Right. Um, how, we, how we get to that being a beacon is very different. Right. And, and churches, unfortunately, churches that way too. Like, I, you know, I had, I had a you know, conversation this morning, you know, the division that, that's happened in the world has bled into the church. Um, division in our country has bled into the church. It's bled into every, every facet in our lives. And in, instead of the church, I mean, I don't like this word a whole lot, but instead of the church infecting society um, with, with the, the wholeness and the goodness and the grace and the love, society has infected the church with the poison of division. And if I might draw a biblical parallel, um, that's exactly what happened to the ancient Israelites. Yeah. They were supposed to be the light on a hill. They were supposed to be that holy nation everybody else came to. They were supposed to be the model. They were supposed to be the, here's how society functions. Look at how we take care of our poor. Look at how we do X, Y, and Z. And instead, they went, oh, we kind of like how other nations do things. Let's do that. And that usually was, and, and here's the thing. You know, people think God's just jealous of, of idolatry for, because you're not paying attention to him. That's not why God doesn't like idolatry. The reason God does not like idolatry is because in almost every instance of idolatry, there is some kind of sacrifice that must be made for the sake of that idol. And more often than not, that sacrifice is human life in some capacity. In some capacity, yep. In some capacity, it winds up being human life which is why God detests idolatry, why he detested the idolatry of the other nations, why he did not want his people following that because he knew that was the way of death, not the way of life. And again, like you said, this, is, this has become the problem, I think, in the church is that we have allowed culture to infect <laughs> our, our light, um, we're kind of doing the same thing, and we're chasing after things that are not of God. Well, and, and we don't even, you know, as church, don't even agree on some basic 
I don't say basic. We don't even agree on how the church should respond to social issues. Right. So, so last Friday, we had um, our VPK graduation. And after the service, one of the, I, have no, I have no earthly idea why this person thought that was the appropriate time. Um, I was, you know, I talked to, you know, I opened the ceremony and then I went to the sound room and was running video and sound for the, for the, um, for the graduation, which was fantastic. I mean, I, I did a little dose of, of joy watching, you know, some VPK kids sing and dance. Um, that was pretty awesome and uplifting. And afterwards, one of the grandparents stopped at the sound booth and he said, he said, uh, is this an evangelical Lutheran church? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, I, I, I know that, that, how is it that, that, that your church supports abortion? And it was, I just was, I was so caught off guard that at a VPK graduation, that was a conversation that this person right. wanted to have. And I just said, listen, I said, I, I said, I don't, the ILCA has not released a statement in favor of abortion. Um, it's, it's a nuanced issue. It's a nuanced issue. And the ELCA. So many issues are. Right. Recognizes that in some cases it's necessary. I said, I don't know that anybody just blanketly supports abortion. Think, you know what I mean? Oh, this is great. And then the conversation turned to, well, I can't believe the ELCA uh, denounced Israel. And like the ELCA didn't renounce Israel. They also, but they do recognize the Palestinian people. Again, a nuanced issue. Again, a nuanced issue that we want to make black and white and, and, draw, and right. draw lines in the sand. Yeah. Um, so, I mean... The, the Israel-Palestine issue isn't front and central for many folks in this country, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, but things like LGBTQ issues, um, you know, the whole marriage equality um, and abortion and things like that are very prominent uh, in, in church and in, the, in, and in the world. And they're not issues that that church has come, church together has come together on in any kind of unified fashion. Um, which makes it really challenging for non-believers and gives them plenty of ammo to say, you know, this is, this, this, this Bible thing, this God, this Jesus thing is all a bunch of crap. Y'all can't even figure your own stuff out yourselves. Right. And it's like, Pretty good point. I mean, I, I and, and recognizing, you know, part of the life of faith is wrestling with issues. Right. Is 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 that there aren't always easy answers. There aren't always um, clear, easy paths forward. There yeah. are um, rocks and hard places, and <laughs> trying to navigate your way um, between, you know. You have two bad choices, and you're trying to figure out what the possible option three is. Yeah. Um, and and I, think, I think one of the challenges for me are all, 
you know, so I stand here on one issue and I stand here on another issue and in some ways how you get to get to your conclusion on issue A and how you get to your, your conclusion on issue B are contradicted at other points in scripture. Right. And it's Which, like, uh, but there's also wrestling with the fact that, that scripture itself many times based on context, etc., will say things that, that seem to be in contradiction with each other, with yeah. each other. Yeah. Um, mainly because again, there's usually a context involved. Uh, what's the situation? What is going on? Um, why does Paul tell women to shush? And then in other places, um, he's extolling how wonderful and helpful they are and their prophetic abilities and blah, blah, right. blah. So it's, it's, again, it's one of those things you, you have to look at the context of what that situation is. And as, as we have, I don't know how often we've talked about it on the podcast, but as I frequently do talk about, you have to take the whole of Scripture and look at what are the, the overarching motifs, themes, etc. And instead of getting bogged down in, hey, there's this one section of Scripture that says something that doesn't quite fit, um, you read that again in light of the rest of, of Scripture that yep. is, okay, how does this piece that doesn't fit, how do I work that into what the overarching message of Scripture is? Yeah, our, our sign currently says God is love. Yeah, and there will be people, people who would add a but to that. That's my filter. Yeah. Like, that's my filter. Like, I believe the overarching message of Scripture is love. Yep. I believe Scripture ultimately is about relationship, and ultimately, if I'm going to define relationship, it's a loving relationship. Correct. And that, that's my filter. And, and I, I am embarrassed to admit that sometimes I, I struggle. I struggle with that love part. Oh, I, who I doesn't? I, I, try, <laughs> I try like hell. <laughs> But the reality is, I, I mean, there are times when I struggle with, with, that, with that love part. Um, and I, th I think all of us do. But, I, you know, I, I really try at the end of the day, you know, when push comes to shove, I try to make my theology as much about love and inclusion as I can. Right. Because it's, it's what I see in Scripture. Well, I, and part I, of what I see in Scripture, too, is most of the time, where does God, who does God, quote, side with? Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the oppressed and the victim. It's going to be the oppressed and the marginalized. Yep. Um, even as early on as, <clears throat> say, the story of Abraham, Sarah, Hagar. Um, Hagar's an Egyptian, who later on, the Egyptians are going to be the bad guys. But Hagar starts out as the oppressed one that Abraham and Sarah, you know, abuse her and she runs away. And God listens and makes promises and hears and 
pretty much kind of, you know, is, is, is like, I hear you. I'm, I'm, I'm here for you. And I don't know that we think about that all that often because, oh, well, but Abraham is so, you know, he's the father of the faith and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, and yet Abraham did a few things that not so awesome. And there's that, that moment of, of Hagar coming, or God coming to uh, Hagar's aid because of how she's been treated. Yeah. And recognizing that that kind of happens throughout Scripture is God keeps showing up for the oppressed and the marginalized, even when it's the people God has specifically chosen that are doing the oppressing. Um, and of course, the tables get flipped in Exodus, and instead of it being uh, an Egyptian slave who is being uh, mistreated, it's now the Egyptians mistreating the Hebrew slaves. So those, those tables kind of turn. Which is always a reminder to me, though, is the answer to um, having been oppressed is not to turn around and oppress. Which is many times our instinct. Yep. Well, they did this to us, so now we're going to turn around and do this to them. One of the most powerful parts of the book of... Is it the book of forgiving or the book of forgiveness? I can never remember. Forgiving. The Book of Forgiving by, by Tutu, Desmond Tutu, yep. um, are, are, for me, the most powerful part of that book are the stories. You know, the stories of how someone was, was victimized and instead of looking for retribution. So there's a story in there, and I'm pretty sure I have it right. Um, a, a child was killed by a drunk driver. And the family essentially worked with this woman who, through drunk driving, took the life of their daughter. I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was daughter. Yeah. And started a foundation to educate, um, to try and end drunk driving and all that kind of stuff. A powerful story. Now, as a parent, man, <laughs> I can't imagine how difficult it is and was to, to make that determination that... It took hard work. Yeah. I, I, can't, I can't... And I, don't, I honestly, I would love to say that I could see myself doing that. I don't know. I don't think anybody knows until they're in that no, situation. they don't know until they're facing And I hope that nobody is ever, ever in that situation. Unfortunately, they will be. Um, but that, you know, that's, that's one of those examples of you're know, taking a really tragic event, God working through it and making something beautiful out of it, and God didn't act alone in that. There's a that's huge... why I said it took hard work. Yep. Um, yep. And I think God worked as God was part of that hard work. Right. To, but... to be in the midst of that hard work. And that's why I look at kind of what's going on, you know. So how do we take 19 dead children um, and two dead adults and make something good out of that? That's going to take work. It's going to take God working in the midst of that, but it's also going to take work on 
the part of, of us to tr do something to make s something good come out of that in some fashion. Yeah. Because um, if we just kind of go on as business as usual, nothing good will come from that. Yeah. Because there's no work involved. There's no change involved. If there's no transformation, there's no change, guess what? It's just going to keep going and going and doing the same thing over and over. Um, I, I, so with both, so with both the, the, the shootings, with the um, Southern Baptist thing, I, I find it interesting that a lot of the responses I see is, well, what's the, what's the answer to our, our, our problem of violence with guns? More guns! It's like, wait, no. I, I don't... And pointing out that they had police and security that engaged that kid prior to him getting into the school. Right. And it didn't stop him. Because he was wearing bulletproof vests and all kinds of things. So it wasn't that there was a lack of um, good guys with guns. Yeah. And when I look at the Southern Baptist thing and the response I'm seeing out of their leadership and several leaders that I've seen who are kind of the, what I will call the worst of the worst of, of that group, um, are coming out basically saying, well, if patriarchy, the submission of women, et cetera, is the problem, the solution is more of that. The solution is for, for more men to be more patriarchal so they properly protect women. And I'm just like, so your solution to the abuse that happens within a patriarchal system is to do more patriarchy. Yep. Again, I'm, saying, I'm saying yep is an S funny here, not just in yep, I agree. No, no, <laughs> but that's, the, but that's yeah. It's, it baffles me that that becomes our response. I just want there to be some legitimate, thoughtful conversations around these issues where everyone's represented. You know, so, so like, the, like guns, for instance, just because that's, you know, the latest tragedy we're, we're dealing with. We're dealing with. Um, I just want there to be a thoughtful conversation that, that takes money out of the equation and takes polit politicians' um, job security um, and kickbacks from, from the gun lobby out of the equation and just has a, has a, a real honest conversation. Um, you know, everybody says, oh, well, you just want to ban guns. I don't, I don't, I don't, necess I don't think that there's, there's this, we don't want people to have guns. I don't, I don't see that. I mean, personally. I don't think we need um, certain guns that they're, you know. So one of the horrifying parts of this to me was they're having to do DNA testing to figure out who the victims are. Yeah. Because an AR-15 just completely blows a child's body apart. Yeah. And when that doesn't trigger a national conversation, I don't know, like, they're... That's where the hopelessness comes in. Yeah. Um, I'm like, if that does not make you fall to your knees in tears, I mean, going, you, we have got to change something. 
I don't know what will. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just, I don't know what will. Yeah. I don't have children personally, but oh my gosh, I, I can't, I, I can't even fathom the grief of those parents having to go get DNA swabbed to find out if, I, I just, I can't, I can't go there. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, at this point, you know your kid's dead. They didn't come home from school. It's just figuring out which body goes in which casket. Well, and I mean, or, you know what I mean? Or, or part. Right, right. I, I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's where they're at with that. That's is, it's really yeah. graphic and disgusting. And it also. Is. But also, I think sometimes we need some of that graphic and disgusting to, yeah. to highlight the horror of it because we get desensitized. And it's so commonplace that we just kind of shrug and are like, whatever. And I think sometimes we need a little bit of the horror brought home to, to get our attention. Yeah. This is certainly not an uplifting podcast. It is not. I'm sorry. <laughs> and it's also not an uplifting but time. But you know what part of the Bible is? Lament. A large par portion of the Bible is lament. It's not all sunshiny, happy rainbows. Um, it, is, it is sitting in lament and, and being sorrowful about things that are happening. I mean, there's a whole book called Lamentations, <laughs> yeah. which, is the, which is Jeremiah lamenting over the destruction of his society. And I think, you know, so as a, as a Christian, you know, we, we, have, we have that hope of the, hope of the empty tomb. Mm -hmm. um, we have new life. We, we, we have the hope of new life. We have the hope of something new springing out of um, the ashes of death. And that's kind, of, that's kind of where I'm at. That's where, yeah. you know, my, where, where I'm at is I'm, I have that hope. It's just how much death do we have to go through first? I was at a chamber breakfast this morning, and of course they you know, had a moment of silence for you know, the victims of what happened in Texas. And you know, we, we turned to you know, talk about how, how wonderful our community is. And I don't, I'm not saying it's not. I don't mean to say it's not. Um, and also, we kind of pretend like this is, uh, if you've seen the movie Pleasantville, I think it's Pleasantville, where like everything is just, everything's happy and perfect and they're, it's all kind of carefully orchestrated and planned. And we kind of have that idea, oh, this, that's what this is. But I think almost every community has that. Mm -hmm. um, let me rephrase that. Almost every white affluent community has that, that sense of everything is perfect. Um, and this is a great community, and quote... We worked very hard to get that um, yeah. facade. And, and that, I have that, that quote, well, that would never happen here, right? Like, how many, how many tragedies have happened and someone has gotten on the news and said, I, we never thought this would happen here. We never thought this would happen here. How many times have the people who have known the individual or individuals They were the nicest person. We never they, would have guessed. We never would have guessed. Yeah. They come from a good family. 
So my, my caution to the Palm City Chamber this morning um, was don't be complacent. Right. Don't pretend like this can't happen in our community. You know, and you know, we, had, we had a racial incident you know, less than two weeks ago, a little over a week ago, a week and a half ago. We had our own racial incident that very easily could have been uh, a violent incident, um, either in um, execution or retaliation. Um, luckily, to this point, we have not. But my, my caution to the chamber was let's not, let's not pretend that, that this can't happen here. Have those hard conversations with your kids. Have those hard conversations with your spouses and your coworkers and your, and your pastors and your people in church um, and your people in your workplaces. Have those hard conversations um, about race, about how we treat one another, about how we engage one another, um, about how to you know, just not be a jerk. <laughs> jerk to each other. I have now, to. Now I, here's 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 the here's a, a funny, maybe not funny. Ha ha. Um, I was I dropped my kids off at school this morning on the way to the the chamber breakfast, um, and the person behind me did not like that I did not um, make my left turn with a deeply, deeply orange light. Now, most of you, if you see me drive, I, I do not drive shyly or slowly. Um, <laughs> so even for me, gunning it to make that turn didn't seem like, didn't seem safe. Well, the person behind me did not like that I did not, I did not, you know, run that yellow, that, that green arrow that is no longer a green arrow. Um, that person um, was at the chamber event. And I don't know if they knew who I was. I could tell who they were because they were behind me in the whole beauty of the rearview mirror. Um, but they, you could tell, you can tell when someone's ticked off at you when you look in the mirror and you know, their gestures, they did, they did not flip me the bird. Um, but you could tell by their demeanor that they were, they were, they were mad that I did not run that light. Um, member, of our, member of our chamber and someone who spoke, at, who spoke at the opening of our chamber event today. How we treat each other matters. Yep. How we engage matters. What if we just return love to everything? Like, what if our response... You know, and, and it's really, it's really hard. Like, yeah, you know, so somebody, you know, says something. Ignorant. Somebody will always throw an example out there, like, well, well, what happens when you get Russia invading Ukraine? What do you do? You just respond with love. I mean, yeah, those are hard questions. Those yeah. are hard, hard. But take yeah. take the easy question instead of making it global. Right. Make it, make it take, your own world. Well, and that's the thing is, you have to start in your own kind of circle, so to yep. speak. Because, and I've preached on this before, if the change isn't happening with individuals, it is never going to change with society. Yep. Yep. 
and, cannot, and, yeah, you can't, it doesn't, it does not drive, individuals drive society, society does not drive individuals. Um, yeah. And, and, and I, I, you know, one of, part of my sermon this week was that we, we, we show up on ch church folks, and I assume if you're listening to this, you're a church folk, um, we show up to worship, worshiping the God of transformation, yep. and then dig our heels in so we don't have to change. Right. We have to be willing to be changed. That's, I mean, that is the Holy Spirit. That's the Christian journey. The Christian journey is admitting that y'all got issues. And when I say y'all, I mean me too. We all oh, got issues. Yeah. And it's, it's being willing to say, hey, you know what? I got issues. I can be better. The and you know, if we can just be, to, use, to do it in a math fashion, half a percent better each day or half a percent better your, you know, each well, week. Well, the faith journey is, Just, is an ongoing transformation process. Yeah. Um, you haven't arrived. No. It, and it, it's, it, it will be ongoing. It's like shoots and ladders. <laughs> right? Like yeah. you're, tr you're chugging along. Ooh, I had a good day. Boop, up the ladder. You're chugging along, chugging along. Whoop, down the chute. Up. And you start that journey over again. Like, I mean, it's a stupid analogy, but, you know, I mean, that's, we try, we try and get, try and get to the end and we never, I don't think we ever actually get there. There's always ways. It's like golf. You can always improve. Yeah. There's always ways to improve. Yeah. I always found it interesting. I, I was a big sci-fi fan. I always loved Star Trek. Um, and, you know, one of the premises of Star Trek is that we eventually you know, evolve into a society to some degree, at least, um, within our own planet, <laughs> where, you know, we, we, we've finally um, achieved that, that place where there's no one in want, there's no one in need, blah, blah, blah. That's the vision for it now. You know, of course, I find it interesting that then we take it and say, okay, we have no more problems here on Earth, so we're going to go intergalactic and face all the same problems that we had on Earth. But there was this kind of hope of this is what humanity could be. And then I always had to look at sort of the backstory behind Star Trek and say, but how did they get there? And they always, always had... Um, whether it was the, the, the old, ver you know, the, the original version or the next generation version, whatever, there was always this time of destruction before they got there. Yeah. They, they literally almost had to destroy themselves before they finally went, hey, this is not going to work. Yep. And if you look at, at human history, um, we seem to constantly destroy ourselves, and then come back and then repeat all the same mistakes. So I guess the hope of Star Trek always was eventually we learned. We eventually got the message, and we eventually figured it out, and eventually said this is not our, how we're going to, to live as humans anymore. Um, that, you know, was, was a really, really lovely thought. Um, unfortunately, then we, we, like I said, we kind of take our, our violence um, away from planet Earth and, and then we engage in it with Klingons and everything else. Mm -hmm. uh, 
the Klingons and the Romulans are our enemies now instead of um, us being the enemies. Because it's always easier to make some other foreign creature thing the enemy instead of, um, how should I put it, the enemy within. Um, but it, I, I kind of look at the, the, again, that arc of scripture is that continual, you know, if you read through both the Old Testament and, you know, I, you, we almost got there. We almost got through a podcast without me mentioning Revelation. Say it ain't so. <laughs> But there's that end vision. Actually, um, you talked about rapture theology earlier. I did earlier, talk about rapture. Is... You're, you're correct. Um, but there's that end vision of what life with God and community with other humans is supposed to be like the healing of the nations, all of this kind of stuff. That's the promise that keeps getting held out. And the rest of Revelation, unfortunately, has all of this kind of destruction that goes with it because it's a warning of, look, if you... I know you want to get, you know, if we want to get here, unfortunately, you guys um, have two ways of getting there. You either change and you get there, or you destroy yourselves and then have to get there. Hey, let's do the destroy ourselves thing. That sounds fun. Unfortunately, that's the way most people (laughs) read Revelation, is that's the way you get there. Yeah. Um, Not realizing there actually is another way. Yep. Um, that that believe it or not is outlined in Revelation as well, but it's less so. He, it's he, less obvious. Well, and it's also it's less sensational. Yes. Right. We're so caught up, so we don't even we just we completely miss that entire part of Revelation because it's not as I'm an air quote air quote as cool. We or, like sensationalism. Right. It's not as cool or as crazy or as chaotic or as wild or sensational as. You know the beast. I, I I don't know. Yeah. But so Paul in prison with God, anything is possible. We can take our misfortunes. We can take the bad things and use them for something good. The gospel can be proclaimed even from prison. The gospel can be proclaimed in the midst of the mess. Yep. In fact, that's where the gospel needs to be proclaimed. And we've got plenty of mess to proclaim the gospel. Yes. Of this is not the way God intends. This is not what God wants. This is not how... God's vision for our world should be, yeah. or how it is um, for God. So, all right, I think I think <laughs> I think we've had enough lament. It's enough joy for one uh, <laughs> podcast. Yes, yes, but um, like I said, the the Bible is full of lament. The Bible is full of those times, and I think if there's any if there's a time we need to be lamenting, it's right now. Yep. Um. And, and hearing, hearing the good news in the midst of that lament isn't, doesn't mean you're immediately just going to jump up and be okie-dokie with everything. It's a process. And we're working through it. 
God said pray to feed the hungry, or the Pope said pray to feed I, the hungry and I, then go I, do it. Yep, I, I pray um, for the hungry and then I go feed them. Yep. So, all right, we will, um, we continue with Philippians next week, Philippians 2, the quote Christ hymn, um, Christ emptied himself of his godhood. Um, I don't really know where I'm going with my sermon yet, but obviously the events of this week will probably shape it in some way. Uh, so we'll see what comes out on Sunday, and we'll talk to you next week about it. <laughs> Bye, everybody. All right. Bye-bye.